When I started, I definitely felt a lot less like listened to because of my age and because of who I was, what my gender was, and I guess where I come from. And, you know, just being a young Indigenous girl trying to like speak up and use my voice, it was hard. And I definitely did feel very discouraged at times. And, you know, because you, you do get the comments like, well, she's a kid. Like, why is she here? Like, why does what this kid say? Like, wh what does this kid know that we don't know? It was It was a, a lot of stuff like that. Welcome to What About Water. I'm your host, Jay Familietti. While most kids her age were playing video games and hanging out at the mall with friends, Autumn Peltier was speaking before the United Nations in New York. And if that wasn't astonishing enough, the then 13-year-old had already established herself as an international leader in water advocacy. She's a four-time International Children's Peace Prize nominee maker of a documentary film called The Water Walker, and she continues to travel the world where she speaks about restoring clean water for indigenous people. We're so fortunate to mark this year's World Water Day with Autumn Peltier. Welcome to What About Water, Autumn. Thank you, Jay. It's great to see you again. It's, we, we met in Ottawa, which was right around your birthday. It was, it was your birthday when you were in the competition for the International Children's Peace Prize. So great, great to see you again. So to start off, let's let our listeners know that when you're not busy saving the world and it's water, you're still a student and you're emerging from exams up there in Canada. So let's start there. Now you're 18. Yes. And you are juggling so much on top of basically, a, you know, a regular life, juggling all this stuff on top of your advocacy and your activism. How do you stay focused? Well, it, I definitely had a hard time creating that balance in between the two. And it was hard at first, but I'm, I've, I've kind of got the hang of it now. And it's kind of smooth now. But yeah, just kind of, it was a lot of like managing my mental health. And because I found that's what took the biggest toll. And you know, just just finding things that I enjoyed doing and doing things and spending time with people that I enjoyed spending time with. And, you know, I, I, I like I love doing things like working out and that helps me keep like mentally balanced. And I love like my, my I have a pet. I have my I have my cat. He's like he keeps he keeps me balanced as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think we have we have similarities, although I should be working out more. Um <laughs> I do this. I do the same thing. So I like to exercise, and we have a cat and a dog. Yeah. And um, it was it was those two that got me and my wife through COVID. So I I know where you're coming from, and thank you for for sharing that with us. So you've been a water activist and a and a big name in Canada since you were really young. How did that journey begin for you? Well, I come from I'm an I'm indigenous, and you know I come from a family that that practices our traditional practices regularly and frequently. So I was eight years old and we had happened to be attending a water ceremony. And this water ceremony was taking place in a First Nations community that was about an hour and a half from my from my own community. And I ended up having to use the washroom. And so I go I go to the washroom, you know, do my thing, and then I go to wash my hands, but on the walls and on the mirror it said, uh, do not drink the water, not for consumption and boil water advisory. 
you know, eight years old, I have no idea what this means. And I'm like, why can't I wash my hands? And so I go ask my mom, like, why can't I wash my hands? Like, what's the whale water advisory? What does all of this mean? And she said, well, this community, they, they can't drink their water. They can't drink their water. It's contaminated. You know, they just can't drink it. You can't use it. And so I guess that sat with me. And for some reason, it was like the, the thought of kids that are my age and younger, not knowing what it's like to go to their tap and wash their hands. They, they have no idea what it's like. They've never experienced that. And so I that that sat with me and it kind of, I guess it triggered some like, it triggered motivation for me to kind of speak up and use my voice. And so later that night, I started to like research on my own because we had a computer in our house and I used the computer to research on YouTube, like whale water advisories. And so that's kind of when like, this, like the thoughts of like wanting to use my voice and speak up and do something about it kind of came about. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of how that. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I think that's, that's pretty amazing. You know, you made the national spotlight a few years after that because of an encounter you had with Justin Trudeau when you were now 12 years old, still still quite young. Can you tell us about that moment? Well, when I was 12 years old, I was invited to speak at the Assembly of First Nations and, well, not speak. I was invited to go and give Justin Trudeau a gift, and that's what I was told to do. They told me to not say anything. You walk up and you give him the gift and you come back. That's exactly what I was told. And... I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. And so I go up and I don't know, in that moment, I just kind of like, I felt so much like, you know, when am I ever going to get this opportunity to be face to face with the prime minister ever again? And so in that moment, I just felt a lot of like motivation to speak up and just, and tell him that I was very unhappy with the choices he's made and broken promises to my people. And then he said, I understand that. And of course that sparks a lot of emotion for me. And I started crying. And then I saw, all that kind of came out was the pipelines because at the time um, he had just uh, accepted and followed through with like the Kinder Morgan pipeline. And so I was, he said, I will protect the water. And so that's kind of what that moment was. And yeah, that's kind of, that's honestly kind of like one of my biggest turning points in this like little career that I have. <laughs> so, so let's, let me get this straight. So you were told to walk up to the, the prime minister of Canada and just hand him a gift. And, and you chose that moment to say, hey, what's going on? Yeah, because, I mean, I it kind of already kind of, you know, didn't sit right with me, the fact that they told me to not say anything, that I just, they gave me very clear and specific instructions. You walk up, <laughs> don't say anything. Because that already didn't sit right with me because I'm, I'm someone who obviously likes to use my voice and speak up. And so I used it. I used my, you know, my freedom of speech. That's that's excellent. Good, that, good for you. And it seems like that really sort of launched your your career in the sense that, you know, now you're attending these high-level meetings all over the world. How do you think people are are responding to you now, especially as you're, you know, getting older and you're an adult now? How are people responding to you and your message? Well, I, from when I started, I definitely felt a lot less, like, listened to because of my age and because of who I was, what my gender was, and I guess where I come from. And you know, just being a young Indigenous girl trying to, like, speak up and use my voice, it was hard. And I definitely did feel very discouraged at times. And, you know, because you, you do get the comments like, well, she's a kid. Like, why is she here? Like, why does what this kid say? Like, wh what does this kid know that we don't know? It was it was a, a lot of stuff like that. And so it was very discouraging. But the more I, I guess, age and get more into, like, this um this work and advocacy... It's I, I still don't really feel like that taken that seriously, even at high level meetings, because, again, I am a young indigenous woman 
And that alone kind of is self-explanatory on terms of uh, racism and discrimination. And so, I don't know, it, but like when I think of it like that, it just gives me more motivation to do it. Exactly. I don't know why my brain works like that. but No, I, I think I'm, I, I'm the same. I'm the same way. So I really appreciate that in you. And, you, you know, you just keep at it because you have a message that is impossible to ignore. And we need people of, of, of all ages, you know, speaking out. And I think you're fortunate in the sense that uh, so on, 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 you know, one level, a lot of people are listening to you. More people should. But, but you know, you've really mobilized a, a community. Hey, question for you. So you're 18 now. What are you, like, are you thinking about a career in advocacy and water? You know, we love water over here. I mean, yeah. you know. Well, right now, I'm currently in my first year of college, and it's only a one-year program. And it was just kind of to get me in, just kind of in so post-secondary. And it's just Indigenous Studies right now. But I do plan, well, I actually just got into university a couple of weeks ago. And I got Congratulations. Into, thank you. I got into criminology, so I, I my goal- Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah, that's that's very cool. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of water criminals, so maybe you could uh, maybe you could develop a new specialty. Yeah. So you know, one of the problems I always have, and there's always this question: oh, How are you going to measure like how well you're how well are you doing? And it's a really hard question for me. And I wonder about like for you, how do you measure your success when it comes to thinking about the work that you're doing and solving water problems? Well, I definitely feel very successful in terms of bringing Indigenous issues to the table and making them known, but I do not feel successful yet on terms of fixing the, fixing the problem as a whole, because I definitely still feel like there's a lot more work that still needs to be done in Canada. And yes, it's not my responsibility, but in a way it feels like my responsibility to kind of like do that. And so there's definitely still, I don't necessarily feel successful yet, but yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's good, and uh, uh, so I really appreciate your comment because I think if you start thinking like, "Oh, I'm successful," you kind of lose your motivation. So it's that drive to keep trying to make a difference that I think is super important. So you know, it's it's fantastic that that you have it, but you know, you're doing so much of this work, and you know, you're extremely young, and you have had a different childhood compared to others. Are there times when you ever wish that you just had like a more ordinary childhood? Yeah, well, it definitely was a lot for me, especially being that young. It was a lot because there, you know, it, it resulted in a lot of bullying, which you know was didn't really make sense. Wow. Me, that didn't make sense to me, but it resulted in a lot of bullying, and it was very hard on my mental health. And there was a lot of times where I did feel like, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this. This is this is really hard. But you know, it's times like that where. When I'm doubted, it gives me so much more like motivation to do to do good and do better and prove you know prove negative things wrong. So I mean that's tough. That's tough for for me to hear to hear that other kids were bullying you basically because of your success or because you were different or because you were speaking out. All of these things are super important. Looking back on all these years, since we're talking about feelings, tell us about your relationship with water. Well, to me, water is, it's its very important and it's, it's kind of like one of the main elements. You know, being born in Anishinaabe, an Indigenous person, we are taught that we, you know, it's our responsibility and it's our right from the moment we're, like, even before we're born, because before we're born, we live in our mother's water for nine months. And in those nine months, 
we consider it a ceremony because you get you learn your first two teachings, which are how to love your mother and how to love the water. Those two things give you life. Those those two things give life. And so you're taught to have that respect and care for water from the beginning. And then again, being born in Ishtabe, we're automatically given the right and responsibility to be caretakers of the land and the water and the people. And so, you know, it's just, I look at it from a very unique perspective, from a very indigenous perspective. And I treat water as if it's a human being because, you know, it gives life. It sustains all life. And without water, none of us would be here. Literally anything, everything and anything, a thing would be here. And so, I don't know, it's just, it's a very, um, I'm a very, I guess you could say spiritual connection with water. So you made a documentary called The Water Walker. What was that experience like? And what were you hoping that people would take away from it? Well, that was a really great experience for me. And I've, that was my first time, of course, being filmed for a documentary. But it felt it felt very good, and I knew that it was a an awesome opportunity because it was it's it's a way for my message visually to be given. I guess I'm not really sure how to put it into words, but you know, it's just you kind of see the story, and I feel like that has a like a, a certain type of impact on people. And it's, personally, when I see documentaries, it has a different impact on me. So I'm like, people are gonna hopefully have that same view on it and see my message, see my story, and. You know, it was, just, it was an amazing experience. Um, incredible that you've had that experience at, at such a, a young age. And I, you know, I know that from when I watch documentaries, it's a completely different experience. It's it's more immersive. Are you thinking about doing more of those in the future? Time-wise, I probably won't have time as I'm starting university, but it's definitely something I would love to do again, Yes. As someone who tries to get the message out about water, we need to try a lot of different ways. And I think, you know, some people will read the newspaper, some people will listen to podcasts. A lot of people watch documentaries. I think it's a great way to, to get the to get the message out. And you've got a you've got a great story. And beyond that, you've been nominated multiple times for the International Children's Peace Prize, which is kind of like the Nobel Prize for young people that are out there changing the world, and you were a top three finalist this past year. What does it mean to you to be nominated for that? Well, it's, it's, I honestly sometimes don't even have the right words, I guess, to kind of describe how, how I feel, but it's an, it's an amazing feeling, and it's just, it feels really good, and like when I talk, when I feel successful, those are the, those are the areas that I do feel successful in, because I was able to bring that message and bring these issues that are not talked about at all, to talking about them on international platforms and being recognized for international prizes and awards. And it's just, that's, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And I on, honestly can't even really describe how I feel. <laughs> yeah, it must be a little bit surreal. Yes. Well, we will keep our fingers crossed for you. Um, so the theme for this year's World Water Day, which is always on March 22nd, is Be the Change. What is your message for the young people and, you know, not so young people about how they can be the change? Well, one of the main aspects of my work is also encouraging young people and youth. And what I've learned and experienced through the the many years that I've been doing this is that the message is so much more powerful and so much more stronger when it's coming from a young person, because you generally wouldn't expect it. You wouldn't expect a young person to be to be talking about world or political issues. 
And so when you do, that's when you know something is wrong and something has to be done. And so, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's I love to hear it coming from you. <laughs> so I strongly <laughs> encourage that. <laughs> uh, well, uh, this has been great, Autumn. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jay. Autumn Peltier is an indigenous rights advocate and four-time international Children's Peace Prize nominee. Peltier is from the Quamacon First Nation on Manitoulin Island, Canada. She currently lives in Ottawa. Hey, please check back with us over the summer as we prepare four firecracker episodes on the full-on water crisis unfolding in real time in the lower Colorado River Basin. Watch your social media and check back with us at whataboutwater.org for updates. Until then, my friends, please spread the word about What About Water and help us make our world a much more water-aware place. We record this podcast at Arizona State University, which sits on the homeland of the Akamal Otham and Peeposh tribal nations. And we produce this podcast in Saskatchewan on Treaty 6 territory, the homeland of First Nations and Métis people. What About Water is the collaboration between the Walrus Lab and the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan. This podcast is a production of Cascade Communications. Our producer is Aaron Stevens. Our fact checker is Taisha Garby. We'd like to thank our studio crew here at Central Sound at Arizona PBS. Our crew at GIWS is Mark Ferguson, Sean Ahmed, Fred Rebin, Andrea Rowe, and Jesse Bidow. I'm Jay Familietti. Thanks for listening.